Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2. We've got in our, in our backyard, we've got a fenced-in yard, keeps our dog from doing bad things. And uh, along the back, several years ago, we decided we want to try looking at the fence. So we put these bushes that we planted in. I don't know, there's about five or six of them that go along the back. And in the summer, they're supposed to flower. And, and they've been there quite a few years. And the first few years, I was like, I don't know. This, this didn't look like they were growing. Didn't look like anything was happening. And then all of a sudden, the last few years, man, they're, they're, they're actually beautiful. They're growing and they're, they're producing the flowers and it's cool. All of them except for one. There's the one all the way over to the left. And I've got, I've got my theories about exactly why it's not growing, but it's just, it's just not growing. The other ones, so they're four or five, they're, 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 they're beautiful. It's awesome. The one all the way to the left, just kind of puny. It's kind of the runt of the whole neighborhood. I'm sure he kind of feels bad about himself. All the other bushes are growing and... He's just back there struggling by himself. Kind of feel bad for him. Every so often I look back there and I go, poor little guy, if something doesn't happen, all the other bushes are gonna make fun of him. And eventually, I'm gonna pull him right out of there. Because he's just not growing. Isn't that interesting thing? I mean, we, we think about that. Like you think about it in the plant world, if something doesn't grow, if it doesn't produce, then at some point it's just really not fulfilling its purpose and maybe even it's just not a value. Same thing's true even in the business world, right? If something is not profitable, if a business is not profitable, what happens? It closes. We do the same thing in, in, with our children, right? We watch our children for different milestones of their development, and if they're falling short on those areas, as parents, we become concerned or we look into this because we don't want their development to, to be stunted and them to miss out in some way on these different things that they need to enable to move forward in a healthy way. We think about it with our bodies and with our businesses and with the, the, the plant world, but how often do we think about growth in a spiritual sense? Today, in a certain sense, this message is about spiritual growth. And let me just, just write out at, at the onset, there, there may be some of you that you're gonna get to the end of this message today, well, maybe that, maybe that wasn't for me, you'll say. In fact, I hope that there's, there's quite a few that, that that may actually kinda fall in line, but unless I miss my guess, I really do think that this idea, what we're gonna talk today about spiritual growth, is really at the heart of a lot of things that we need to hear as individuals and as a church. It's, it's important for us, and today we're not gonna talk about the tools of spiritual growth. In fact, um, if, you, if you want to do that, if you need to grow in that area of your life and develop spiritually, I would really encourage you to, to begin coming out to the Wow Wednesday classes on Wednesday nights. We start a new, they're, they're in a three-week cycle. We start a new cycle this Wednesday night, seven o'clock. Those are places that you can grow in your faith and learn how you can continue to grow in your faith, and you can find out more about that. There's some life change guides in different places throughout the building you can pick up. That's not really what we're gonna talk about today. I don't really wanna talk about that concept of, of tools for your spiritual growth. It's actually more about something that's been on my heart for, for quite some time. You know, I wanna, I wanna say thank you um, on behalf of our pastoral team, you know, the, the October's considered Pastor Appreciation Month, and in so many ways through your generosity and just kind words, it's been a real, real blessing to us. Ultimately, though, and I think I speak for our whole team, it's our privilege, we appreciate the opportunity that God has given to us to, to serve with you. 
And it's really an exciting season for us here as a church. I mean, God has given us a unique season of growth. You know that at this 10 o'clock service, we can have some times um, where we're, we're a little crammed in this room, and hello, auditorium two, and we're, we're seeing this over in our children's area. In fact, at the place that we're beginning to, to consult with some architects to try to figure out what can we do with our building to be able to accommodate um, the growth that God's given to us and to be good stewards of the opportunities we have to bring life change to others. It's an exciting thing, isn't it, that we're in that place? We're excited not just with the season of growth, but God's given us a real season of unity where corporately we're together and excited about what God is doing in people's lives, Pastor Bill, the things you shared about missions and what God's doing around the world. And he's given us a season where we're watching people experience life change. We show that video about baptism because it's such a clear expression. It, we've talked about this the last few weeks. It pictures what Christ does in our lives. And even next week, we're having baptisms and, and we're gonna see that. I already know, I've talked to three people so far who've told me their stories about how they're gonna be baptized next week. It's just awesome to see that happening. So as a pastor, it's so cool to see these things that God is doing in so many different ways in the church. We're hearing it every week. But you ever have those times you ever those times when like, you're driving in your car, and you're just kind of cruising down the road, and all of a sudden you hear this noise, and you go, That's, that doesn't sound right. So not only does that not sound right, that sounds expensive. <laughs> right? You're like, this, this isn't right, and it gets your attention. You know, that, that, that bugs you. Sometimes those things happen at home. You look at something, you're like, man, I gotta fix that. I gotta, I gotta get that right. And there's those things. I have, I have this kind of concern right now as a pastor and there's some things in my heart where I just go, I, I just, I, that just doesn't feel right to me. One of, one of those concerns, and I think, I think many of us share it, is just I'm concerned right now for our nation. I think we're in a place right now with this election, and, and without making, you know, people, people want to know, what do you think of this, what do you think of that, what do you think of this, without making too many statements, look, we're in, we're in a pretty crazy place. And one of the things that has been so clear right now is that the response to the two major candidates, even among Christians, is nothing short of polarizing. Isn't that true? I mean, just, just within the last couple of weeks, I heard about friends of mine, two friends of mine from here at Calvary, who had a very, what you might call, heated conversation about the election. It was probably only a few decibels short of a, of a full-blown biblical argument. <laughs> and at the core, at the core of their um, conversation was both of them saying to the other person, how can you vote for that person and then call yourself a Christian? Right, it's, it's, it's polarizing. It's this tense thing right now. And yeah, I'm, I'm concerned, just like you, about who will be in the White House as a result of what happens on November 8th. That's why I'm encouraging you, do your homework. I'm encouraging you to, to responsibly vote. I think, and, and remember this, there's a whole lot more on the ticket than just the presidential election, right? There's a lot of stuff there. We need to fulfill our responsibility. We need to vote and vote our conscience. Pray about this and do that. But I'll be honest with you, as much as I'm very concerned about who will be in the White House after November 8th, I'm even more concerned about what it'll be like in God's house on November 9th. And that we realize that in the midst of all of this, we corporately serve God, we, we love him together, which leads me to be just honest to an even deeper concern. I worry that some of us are in our spiritual lives too focused on short-term results. That we get a good feeling when we come to church on Sunday, but we don't let that carry over into our lives on Monday. That we come to church to be encouraged, but in the midst of that, that we actually miss out on the whole point. 
See, at the end of the day, when you, when you come to church, it's not about a good experience, it's not about encouragement, it's not even really about community. When we come together at the end of the day, it's about Jesus. It's about the salvation that he brings to our lives. And when I look at scripture, what I see it say over and over again is that it calls us to a total commitment of our lives to him. I think maybe part of why this has been kind of stirring up inside of me is because as I read through 1 Peter, it seems like Peter is saying these same things. If you remember, and we've talked about this over the last few weeks, Peter is writing to a group of churches, most likely people he's never met, but the heart that he has as a pastor is writing out to them. I mean, you see this and you can read this all throughout, and he's saying to them, look, I know that you are struggling. I know that you are suffering. I know that as a result of your faith, some of you are even facing persecution. I know you're going through hard times. Please don't let go of your faith. Hold on to this and to encourage them, he calls them exiles. Interesting term. Some some translations use the word refugee or alien. What he's saying is this. Understand that the world you live in right now is really not your home. All throughout scripture, you see the principle and the idea that as followers of Jesus Christ, our allegiance, our, our citizenship, scripture says, is in heaven. We belong to God, so that as we live on this earth, we're to make the most of this life, we are to touch people's lives, we're to impact others, we are to be a part of influencing the world as salt and light, but we realize this is not our home, that ultimately we are exiles, which leads Peter to make these statements that we've summed up in this series, that the faith we live out will separate us from the world we live in. There will be times and things about us that will be different from the world around us. And what he's saying to them, and what we're gonna see in these three verses today, is Peter is expressing to them, be careful that you don't end up like the little bush all the way on the left. Make sure that you're growing in your faith. Make sure that you are focused on your faith in Jesus Christ, that it is moving you forward. So this is why he writes 1 Peter chapter 2, We're just gonna look at the first three verses today. He says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So I wanna do in the next, in the next few moments is take those three verses and just kinda of unpack for us some truths that are there about spiritual growth, why that's so important in our lives, how we live those things out, and why it makes all the difference in the way that our lives move forward. So let's go back to verse one. Let's start there, First Peter chapter two, verse one. Here's what he says. He says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. So he uses some language there, and actually it's, it's, it's fairly strong. He says you need to rid yourself of those things. The idea, if you look at this throughout scripture, is of kind of taking something off, of removing something, getting rid of something that may hinder you in some way. And so he's very forceful here in saying if there are things that are keeping you from developing in your faith, you need to get rid of those things. See, we grow when we remove the things that hinder our development. We grow when we remove the things that hinder our development. Isn't that true of so much of life? That if there are things that are stopping us or slowing us down or having a detrimental effect in our lives, we are not gonna grow or move past those things until we deal with it and get rid of those things. When one of our kids was little, they, they, um, they were probably about one, and they had moved off of formula and baby food onto, onto like real food. 
And in the midst of this, we saw this very interesting thing that began to happen. What happened was they stopped acting like Rhonda and they started acting like me. <laughs> they just got mean. It was like, it, it didn't matter. It was like they were just, they were just mean all the time. We were like, this just it doesn't seem right. And so we went to the doctor and the doctor said, well here's the deal, it could have something to do with their diet, why don't you try this, why don't you take them off of dairy products for a while and see what happens. And so we did, and all of a sudden they started acting like Rhonda again. They got nice again, they were more normal again. And it was this interesting thing because we found that there was something that was going into their life that was affecting them in a very negative way. Now eventually they grew out of it and it's not an issue, so sometimes they're still mean, but it's really not an issue anymore. But here's the deal, we had to be wise enough as parents to heed that advice and say if we keep doing this, it's gonna have this detrimental result. We need to get rid of that. We need to pull that out of their life. This is what Peter's saying. He's writing here and he's saying, look, there are some things that if you're gonna move forward spiritually, you need to deal with these things. This is a principle all throughout scripture. Look what Paul says, Ephesians chapter four, verse 22. In fact, Paul uses this analogy a lot. He calls them to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And some of us will never develop spiritually because we'll never take this seriously. There's things that we need to deal with. We, we talked about this last week a little bit when we talked about holiness. And the idea behind holiness is this, that there are some things we're called, we're set apart. And we talked last week some about repentance and there are things in our lives that we need to deal with. For some of us, they're habits, they're just outright sins, there's things that we need to repent and turn and change from. But what, what Peter focuses in on here are not the big grievous sins that we see sometimes listed in scripture. Go back and look at what he talks about here. He mentions things like malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. He deals with some very interesting things. And I want you to watch this because we're gonna, we're gonna break those down in just a moment. But watch this. If you go back and you look at the end of chapter one, Peter takes some time and he talks about how wonderful God's word is. And you know that he's still thinking about it because the very first word in the first verse of chapter two is therefore. And when you see the word therefore in the Bible, you're supposed to ask yourself what it is. Therefore. Hey, I told you people, listen. So this is good, right? So what's it there for? Well, he's still talking about God's word. He's still going back to this. And so then he talks about God's word and spiritual growth again in verse two. So understand this, right in the middle, right sandwiched between his conversation about God's word, he lists these five things, why? Because he's challenging them to see that these things will affect the power of God's word to work in your life if you do not get rid of these things. He's calling them to a choice. He says at some point, you have to choose, will you live for the world or will you live by the word? Which is it gonna be? Are you gonna live for the world or are you gonna live by God's word? And here's what he points out to us. First he talks about malice. What is malice? Malice is the desire to harm others. In some way, you have evil intention towards another person. It may be disguised sometimes, even as concern or care, but deep down inside, the only person you have an interest in is you. And it shows up at school and it shows up at work all the time. That's malice. Malice may represent itself then in deceit. And deceit is attempting to deceive another, easy enough. And what I'm finding is this, and maybe, maybe you, you kind of get wiser with age, I don't know how it plays out, but the older I get, the more I seem to see this in people. 
Have you ever met people who, who tell you what they think they want you to hear? Or they tell you what they want you to hear? And, and in scripture, sometimes that's even referred to as, as lying. When you try to deceive someone by what you say. He takes that kind of the next level and he talks about hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is pretending to be different from what you really are. Hypocrisy is pretending to be different from what you really are. And this one has, has a real spiritual tone to it, doesn't it? In fact, many times, I've probably seen more people's faith derailed because they get bothered by the hypocrisy of others who call themselves Christians, true? Now let's just be honest for a minute. Anyone in this room who is not at some point a hypocrite is also a liar, <laughs> right? We're all hypocrites, we all fall short, we all fail. There's a difference between falling short and choosing to embrace hypocrisy. And sometimes when you try to look righteous to cover up your evil intentions, that's hypocrisy. He goes on then to talk about envy. Envy is longing for what others have. It's the opposite of thankfulness. And when I begin to desire what's, what's not mine, when I say, boy, I sure wish I could have that, in an unhealthy way, what it does is it steals our contentment, it skews our perspective, it scatters our peace. So we have to watch for these things. The last thing that he mentions is slander. And slander is speech which intends to harm another. Slander is speech which intends to harm another. Did I mention we're in an election season? <laughs> Nasty ads, mean name calling, trying to determine whose lack of character is the worst. And that's just college football. <laughs> we live in a world where these things we're talking about are everywhere. Do you realize why Peter highlights these things? He's saying if you allow these things to be in your life, they will put a barrier up to your spiritual growth. They can actually keep God's word from having its full power and effect in your life. You have to watch after these things. And do you notice these things aren't necessarily actions, they're attitudes? All these things start with something that goes on in our hearts. So he's saying, look, at some point, if you want to grow, you got to start with what's negative on the inside. Our attitudes are an incredible thing. Attitudes can be power or poison in us. Isn't that true? Our attitudes can be power or poison. So we have to watch. Because if we're not careful, Bad attitudes like poison will get in our system and they will honestly have a way to make us sick. And he says here that you have a choice. You have to choose. How are you gonna let those things affect you? What are you going to allow to come in and work in your life? And let me just confess something real quick. It's easy to have a bad attitude, isn't it? I'm so good at having bad attitudes, I don't even have to try. It just kinda happens. How about you? What's work is getting rid of that. And I, I would encourage you, especially because of the, the political climate that we're in and the constant news cycle that we're experiencing, and what comes with that is a constant spirit of criticism, that that can begin to affect your spirit, can it? We need to guard ourselves, especially in a time like this. We don't, we don't hide, we don't run away, we don't become isolationists, but we do say, God, help my spirit to be right because it's easy to have a bad attitude, but it'll keep you from being able to receive what God wants to do in your life. So what do you do? Let me give you this encouragement. We must remove the negative to gain the positive. This is what Peter's saying. If you wanna grow, then you're gonna have to get rid of the negative in your life so that you can put in the positive that's there. 
The trick is, some of us have Kessler syndrome. I heard about this this week. It's actually not a medical term, it's a scientific term. There's a guy named Don Kessler. Back in the 70s, he was a scientist, he was a research scientist with NASA. His job, why he was there, was he was supposed to be studying what effect happened when meteoroids would crash into each other, how that might affect space, even Earth, the environment, atmosphere. He was supposed to look into that. But as he did, he, he really was bothered by something. He'd seen that for several decades. We had been launching satellites up into what's called the lower Earth orbit, this area around the Earth where you know, all the satellites seem to go along. And what he realized was that if we didn't change the way we were doing that, we were gonna have big problems. And actually, in some ways, we do, he was right, we have these problems today. Because what happens is we keep putting these satellites up here in what is really a confined space. And as they go around, at some point, you start to have a traffic jam. And then at some point, and this actually uh, critically happened in 2009, he had kind of called this, two satellites can crash into each other. And when they do, there's an explosion, and there's things that break off, and things shatter, and now you have even more debris in what's already a crowded space. And where there's more debris, there's more opportunities for accident, and what happens is, as satellites die, as things get old, as things break down, as things shatter, now we find that we've got an orbit that's filled with space junk. And what happens is that that means that there's more and more opportunities for there to be damage and for there to be problems and for things to bump into each other, even to the point that they speculate that if something isn't done about this, there could be so much space junk up there at some point that could actually hinder and prohibit air, uh, spacecraft from going through that part of the low Earth orbit out into the atmosphere. It's a big deal. It's interesting. I don't intend to ever go see it, but it's interesting. And I thought to myself when I heard this story this week, that reminds me of a lot of people I know. They kind of have a lot of space junk in their orbit. Because what's happened is as they go through life, they keep bumping into things, situations, difficulties in their life. They keep bumping into people when they have conflict or challenges, when things don't go their way. And what the tendency is if we're not careful, when we bump into people, some of us explode. Or we let ourselves get broken or pieces fall off, and then our orbit gets filled with debris. Does that make sense? And then what happens is, then we begin to hurt a lot of other people who happen to bump into our orbit as well, even to the point that it can hinder us from moving beyond in our lives if we don't do something about this. So the reality is some of us, because of things like malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, we've got a lot of space junk in our orbit. And if we don't get rid of those things the way that Peter encourages us to, the, the, the results of that will be destructive in our lives and in the lives of others. When we do not deal with the negative in our lives, the damage increases and intensifies. That's the spiritual Kessler effect. It increases in the sense that that junk and debris in our lives spreads through our orbit and affects other people. And it intensifies because if we don't deal with it, it just gets worse and worse and worse. This is why Peter so clearly says we have to be mindful of these things. We need to deal with those things. He says get rid of those things in your life. We have to deal with the negative if we hope to gain the positive. So he switches then. He goes from talking about this and then moves on to the positive side of spiritual growth. Look at what he says in verse two. 1 Peter chapter two, verse two. He says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Like newborn babies, isn't that an interesting thing? Now, now if you are familiar with the New Testament, 
You know there's a time when Paul, especially in in 1 Corinthians, as well as the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter uh, six, talks about the fact that we are not to be like babies, that we're supposed to mature beyond infancy in our spiritual life, which is true. But Peter uses this analogy in a different way. He's not talking here about immaturity, he's using this analogy to talk about intensity. Because when babies want something, they just want something, right? None of my kids were born with the spirit of timing or courtesy, none of them. Right, when they wanted to eat, you know what they did? Two o'clock in the morning. I don't care what mom and dad are doing, I want to eat right now. And they were never polite about it, yours? We never got, mom, dad, I'm hungry. No, they just scream, open their little mouths and scream. Right, because they say, I want this. There's this intensity that comes with this. That's what he's talking about there. That you have this intensity in your life. That you say, I I want what is best for me. Why is that? Because their little bodies know that for them to eat, for them to drink that milk in that moment is exactly what they need to grow and to develop and to move forward. When they're hungry, they wanna eat. Their bodies cry out for it. So what Peter is saying about our spiritual lives is that we should desire to grow spiritually in the same way. We should have the same hunger and the same intensity, just like that baby, to desire all that God has for us. Now what's interesting here is he is encouraging us to do by a choice what comes naturally to a baby. Interesting thing, the baby doesn't necessarily choose to do that, that's just kind of this instinctual thing. But then Peter says to us, but I want you to crave God's best for your life in the same way. And I love it that he tells us that we should choose something that babies do naturally, which highlights a really important point for us. You will not want to do the right things until you start to do the right things. Think about that for just a moment. Sometimes you will not want to do the right things until you start to do the right things. I don't necessarily want to eat right. It's not as much fun as eating the way I want. But when I do eat right, don't I feel better? And then I want to eat better because it makes me feel better. I don't necessarily always like to work out, but I'm glad I do because I feel better. I don't necessarily like to to work to learn things sometimes, to read, to try to get better at something, but afterwards I go, Chad, you're awesome because you're smarter. Why, I didn't necessarily want to do that, but when I do, I'm so glad I did, and usually it builds in me a desire to do something more. Does that make sense? You will not want to do the right things until you start to do the right things. And Peter says when you do, then there's something that happens in your life. And he says these babies, they crave pure milk. We need to begin to crave pure spiritual milk where we say, God, we want everything that you have for us. And ultimately, he's talking here about the word of God, that we bring his word into our lives, that we live out his word with our lives, that we spend time in God's presence. And for some of us, This gets diluted, in fact I'd venture to say for all of us this gets diluted because everything we bring in is not always pure. Isn't that true? If the person sitting next to you always brings in things that are pure, they're actually delusional. (laughs) Entertainment, the things that happen around us, our attitudes, even just apathy. These things come in and they weigh us down that at some point Peter says, look, there has to be a contrast between you and the world around you. Will you live for the world or will you live by the word? That's the choice we have to make and here's why. We grow when we consume God's word. 
We grow when we consume God's word. When we allow God's word to come into our lives, when it changes us, when it makes us more like him, we grow at those times, when it's at work inside of us. Sometimes I think we we look at the Bible and we just think, well, it's just another book. Look, it goes beyond that. It's gotta be more than just another book. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul writes, and we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed, look at this, at work in you who believe. When we allow God's word to come into our lives, whether it's just one verse that we meditate on or whether it's taking in much of his word, it is more than just words on a page. It changes us inside of us. That is how important it is to get God's word into our hearts. How are you doing this? I've had, I've had people say, well, you know what, I, I'm, I'm gonna... I'm just, I, don't, I don't know much about this book, so I'm just gonna start at the beginning and try to just start reading through. And I always think, oh man, I hope they, they're not gonna make it past Leviticus. There's no way. I barely make it past Leviticus. Where do you start? Well, the best place for you to start is in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, because that is about Jesus. And who's the most important person in this book? Jesus. In fact, the whole book is about him. So when you start there, then you begin to learn. If you want to know more about how to, how to pray and how to praise and how to know God more intimately, read through the Psalms because the psalmists talk to us about their relationship with God. If you need wisdom in your life at school, in the job, read the book of Proverbs because the book of Proverbs helps us to find that wisdom. And as you begin to get in God's word, as you consume that, it changes us. But remember this, it is essential to the child of God to both know and do the word of God. You can't just know it, you have to do it. If you're gonna grow in your faith, it's essential that you both know and do the word of God. So we not only grow when we consume God's word, but we grow when we live out God's word. When we live it out in our everyday lives, that's when we're changed, that's when things happen inside of us. We grow when we live out his word. Because you can read all about something, but until you actually do it for yourself, you really haven't learned it, right? You really haven't lived it until you actually act on that. And sometimes you must choose to do the right thing whether you want to or not. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just choose to do the right thing whether you want to or not. At the end of the day, this this message really isn't about reading your Bible, although I think it's, it's, it's an essential gateway to understanding God's word and living that out. Ultimately, this is about living for Jesus and saying in every part of your lives, God, I desire to know you more and to live for you. And he can be glorified when you do that in your school, on the job, in your hobbies, in your marriage, in your relationships, with your family, with your wealth, in your church. But he must come first. We must be fully committed to him. We have to desire his presence in our lives and then be willing to to let his presence live through you. He uses this word that oftentimes I think as as Christians, sometimes we we just fly over this word in scripture. He just uses the word salvation. And sometimes we go, I know what that means. It means means to be saved, but what does it really mean? When, When we get a little further in chapter two, when he gets to verses nine and 10, he really wants to remind his readers this is what it means for you to have salvation. Look at what he says in verse nine. First Peter chapter two, verse nine. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That's quite a mouthful, isn't it? 
Some pretty cool things to be called. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We, we can get lost in this. Here's what he's trying to say to us here about our salvation. He says your salvation gives you value and it gives you purpose and it gives you hope. Your salvation gives you value and purpose and hope. Where, where do you find value? Did you see what he called you? You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You're God's special possession. He's saying here you have incredible value to him. You matter to him. He has called you to something that is greater than what you are on your own. That's, that's for some of us that struggle with our worth in life. That's incredible for us to go back to and remember that no matter how we feel or what we're going through, we have immense value you to him and then we have purpose because our purpose then is to declare to others to let the world see what God has done in our lives he talks here about how he's called us out of darkness and into his mediocre light right no into his wonderful light we don't have time to to dig into that but what he's called us to is is amazing that's our purpose and we have hope I'd encourage you to, to maybe do a little bit of study on verse 10 where he talks about you, you once weren't a people, now you're a people. You once didn't have mercy, now you have mercy. This is all a reference that goes back to the book of Hosea. And Peter's readers would have known this. That reminds us that even in the worst times of our lives, even in the worst times of our existence, even in the times when we're as far away from God as we think we can be, God reaches out to us and says, you belong to me and I can give you mercy. That's a good word. That's salvation. Even when we're in our lowest place, he's reaching out to us with value and with purpose and with hope. Aren't those the things that people look all over for? And every other place outside of the good news of Jesus Christ, it just falls short. This is the only place you're gonna find it. But here's my concern. My concern is that some of us know this and, and there's times in our lives where we step out into that wonderful light but well, we spend most of our time in the shadows, kind of right back where we were, forgetting the value that we have in Jesus Christ. This passage says that with salvation, we're his people. But sometimes we forget that he's made us a part of his family. Yeah, our faith's strong on Sunday, but then our will's weak on Monday, or our self-worth is just shot on Tuesday, and our hope seems to dissipate by Wednesday, and then our priorities maybe get cloudy on Friday, you can even skip Thursday. That's when temptation's really strong, right? And then Saturday, you're kind of crippled with guilt until you come back around to Sunday again. And just, just for the record, the Bible never says that your faith is just for one-seventh of your week. It's something that we're to allow to change us and give us hope every day. I told you there was something earlier that was concerning me. My concern is that for some of us, we like church we're even pretty cool with Jesus, but we've not truly surrendered our lives to him. We've never really said, God, everything that I have belongs to you. A friend of mine uses this analogy. He says it's when you say, God, I give you the steering wheel of my life. You take control. That is really what salvation is all about. In fact, for us, all of us, the reality is we grow when we take the next step. We grow when we take the next step. So for you, what's, what's that next step? 
Where is it that God is calling you to to follow him in obedience? For some of you, it may even be being baptized next week. It's just a a beautiful step. Scripture says that after you've become a follower of Jesus Christ, taking that next step of baptism is a big deal. If you've not yet been baptized in water, I wanna encourage you next week that you be a part of that. You can either sign up online or you can stop back at the hub in the back of the atrium and you can sign up for that today. Maybe for some of you that next step is, is a move towards repentance. Maybe for some of you it's finding a way here at Calvary to connect, grow, and serve so you can take that, that next step in your faith. It's a huge thing. It's when you say, God, I want you more than any other thing. Not just accepting you, but God giving you all that I have, why? Why would you even do that? Let's look at verse three of 1 Peter chapter two. Peter concludes this thought by saying, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. He says, look, you're gonna crave this, you're gonna want this, because once you get a taste of this, it makes you want to go back for more. Isn't that true? When you taste something that you like, you go, man, I want, I want that again. That's why this baby cries out in the middle of the night. That's why Peter encourages us to have that same spiritual intensity because once you've tried it, you know that it's good and you want more. That's how it works with food. Pastor Bill and I were just talking about this this morning. I remember we, we took, a, we took a, a missions trip one time and I remember on the last leg of this long flight, we had this long trip, they came around and they gave us this little package of cookies. And it was on a, it was on a German airline, so I don't know what they're called because I don't read that but I ate that cookie, I'm sure it came from heaven itself. It was the best cookie I've ever eaten in my life. And we've, we've looked for that, like I, I can tell you what it was like, and we've tried to find it, and this brand, this kind of thing, you go to a supermarket when you're in another country or something like that, I look for it every time. I've never been able to find this cookie. I just know that I tasted it and it was good. And I want more of that. And Peter's saying, look, that's how your relationship with God should be. See, we grow because of that. We grow in the good times, right? When God gives us his grace, when he gives us his blessing, when we recognize those things, when we praise him for it, we grow in those good times. But the reality is we grow in the tough times too, don't we? I do. In fact, some of the greatest spiritual growth I've had in my life have been through times that I'd rather not repeat. But we grow in those tough times. In fact, Peter's language here is really significant. He says, you've tasted that the Lord is good. To us, we go, oh, cool analogy. To his readers, they went, wait a minute. We've heard that before. Because they would have been familiar with their scriptures. In fact, some of you maybe had the same thought when you heard that, especially those that maybe had some Jewish heritage or had had studied the Old Testament in the church because it takes you back to Psalm 34 in the Old Testament. In fact, if you read Psalm 34 and then you read the book of 1 Peter, you'll see how many times Peter is influenced by this psalm. And he writes this in verse eight. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You ever heard that before? Taste and see that the Lord is good. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an encouraging phrase. Look at the second part of it though. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. See, we think taste and see that the Lord is good is all about the good times. This whole psalm is about the bad times. In fact, David wrote this psalm at one of the lowest points in his life. And here's what he's saying. Even in the midst of the struggles you're going through, and some of you, I know you, you're going through some tough times right now. Even in the midst of those tough times, you can taste and see God is good. He's there beside you. He's walking with you. He's with you even in the tough times. But can I encourage you with this? A taste is not enough. 
It's not enough. If a taste does not lead to a steady diet, growth does not happen. If a taste does not lead to a steady diet, and this is Peter's whole point, he's like, you've tasted that the Lord is good, now come back, crave for everything that he has, give him all that you are, he desires all of you. You you were probably like this when you were a kid, and maybe as a parent your kids have been like this, mine have, where they kind of go through phases where they're interested in something for a little season of time, do you know what I'm talking about? I wanna take these lessons for a while or I'm interested in this show or this music or when I grow up, I want to be this and, and you just pray that the Lord will change that, right? <laughs> so you've been there, you've been through those things. Even as adults, I think we go through phases. You know, we go through a phase where we're like, ah, you know, I'm into golf, I'm into boating, I'm into horses, I'm into skiing, I'm into music, I'm into fitness. Like we can go through all these phases, some of them last, some of them don't. And actually it's okay if some of them don't last I mean, then it's just maybe it's, maybe it's just a hobby for a season. That's not bad. It's probably good for us to try some new things. It's perfectly fine if you go through phases with a hobby. But the Bible never said that Jesus was your hobby. The Bible calls us to a complete commitment. The beautiful thing about salvation, where he calls us out of darkness into his light, is that it doesn't, it doesn't you don't have to buy it, right? It's free. But if you're gonna follow him, that's when it begins to cost you something. In fact, Jesus told us that if we're gonna follow him, it's gonna cost us everything. Does he do that because he wants to take something from you? No. He asks you to give him everything, not because he wants to take something from you, but because he wants to give everything to you. But honestly, he can't truly bless you until you surrender it all to him. Until you say, God, everything I have is yours. And for some of you, I really do believe, in fact, I felt this all week, felt this for several weeks, that today's a turning point for some of you. That maybe Sunday's just been a good gig, or uh, Jesus has kind of been a hobby, or if you had to check a box that said what your religion was, you just kind of check Christian. But understand, Jesus wants more than that. Not because he's trying to take something from you, but because he wants to give everything to you. And I can tell you from experience that until you get to that place where you surrender it all to him, you'll never truly know peace. You'll never truly find value in your life. You'll never truly understand what your purpose is until you say, Lord, you can have it all. I say this, this is what's bothered me lately. See, salvation comes from when I say, God, I give you everything that I have, and it's a beautiful thing. I worry sometimes, though, that some of us think we have salvation when maybe what we have is a hobby. My concern is that some of you may come to church, but I'm not so sure you're going to heaven. Does that make sense? What he's asking for is everything. There's a story in the Gospels, one of the places where you read it's in Mark chapter 10, where this guy comes to Jesus, and the truth is, he's got a pretty good gig going on. We refer to him often, if you put the story together, as a rich young ruler. He had finance, he had authority, he had power. It's a pretty pretty cool dude. He comes to Jesus, and he sees something that he likes, and he he says, what do I have to do if I'm going to follow you? 
And they have a little conversation, then finally Jesus says to him, if you truly want to be my disciple, if you truly want to follow me, he says, take everything you have and then sell it and give it away and then you come and follow me. Pretty intense, isn't it? I don't think that it's a, it's, a, it's a prescription that every one of us need to do that. That's not for everybody. Jesus was speaking to his heart. Now this passage talks about wealth, but it talks even more about our hearts. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm asking you to give me everything that you have. Mark chapter 10, verse 22 says that at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He went away sad because he said, Jesus, I won't give you everything that I have. And we we share this message today mostly because I just don't want you to leave sad. I want you to experience it all. See, some of us view our, our relationship with Jesus. Look, look your, your, your faith, your salvation is supposed to be like oxygen to your soul. You're supposed to breathe it in and breathe it out. It's supposed to be something that fills you every day. For some of us, we just grab the oxygen mask on Sunday and we take a hit and hope we'll make it through the week. I can tell you there's a better way. There's a much better way. So I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Whether you're here in Auditorium 1 over in Auditorium 2, maybe you're watching this on a screen somewhere. Pastor John's going to sing a a song that we know. It's very familiar. It says, you can have it all, Lord. And as he sings this, will you search your heart and ask yourself the question, God, have I given you my all? You can have it all, Lord. Every part of Some of you, the, the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart about some things that the, the, the best way to explain it is just you're white knuckled about. Because you're holding on to them so tightly. And the Holy Spirit's speaking and saying, hey, will you, will you hand over that attitude to me? 
would you be willing to hand over your, your career to me? Not because I want to change it, but because I want to use it. Will you give me your, your skills? Will you give me your relationships? Will you give me your future? Will you give me everything that you have? Because it's only then that you're going to find that value and that purpose, that hope, that peace, that joy in your life. And for some of us, there's been this little portion of us that's been miserable. And maybe it's because we've just failed to say, Lord, you can have it all. And maybe it's not a matter of uh, just giving him a little part of your life. Maybe, maybe it's a part today where you say, God, I've never fully surrendered my life to you. I know your word says, Jesus, that you came and died on a cross so that my sins could be forgiven. And that you rose again so that I could have life. Scripture says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord should be saved. Maybe today what you say is you'd say, God, I can't do it on my own anymore. What I need today is your salvation. I need your forgiveness. I need to make you not just my savior, but also my Lord. So if you're here today and it's kind of the privacy of your own heart, if you'd say, God, there are things that I need to fully surrender to you in my life and your, your Holy Spirit's speaking to me about it today, would you just write where you are? Would you just raise your hand? God, I fully give that to you, man. Yeah, thanks. God, I give you everything. Or maybe you're here today and you'd say, God, I can't do this on my own anymore. What I need is to make you my Lord and Savior. Today, I need to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Maybe you need to begin or begin again that relationship with him. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, God, I give you my whole life today. If you raised your hand either one of those times, I'm gonna invite you. Would, you. would you pray this prayer with me? And if you're here today and you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, would you pray with this, this with me as well? Say, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your Son to die for my sin. I ask today that you'd forgive my sin, change my life. I give myself completely to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Father, I pray for those that raised a hand today. Lord, my hand was raised to say, Lord, there's parts of our lives that we need to give completely to you. Lord, we do that with hope, knowing that you are a God who loves us and fills our lives with that value and that purpose and that hope. Lord, we thank you for your word that speaks to our hearts. May we live in the grace the peace and the joy of knowing you fully as our Savior and our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.